You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Good morning and welcome to America's Web Radio. And, uh, you know, one thing that uh, we didn't do and we just got to do in honor of uh, General Dix. And uh, uh, let's just do it and, and uh, everybody uh, will appreciate it. Okay, everybody who's been in the military knows exactly what that's all about. That's the cadence, and uh, we never went anywhere on post that... um, or on the fourth, that uh, if you were in your platoon or whatever and double timing or, or just marching from one building to the next, you had a cadence and you had the first sergeant or your platoon leader leading that cadence. And uh, I tell you what, in Fort Ord, California, cadence calls have uh, gotten me through some really sandy areas of marching. So... We always start off in, uh, generally speaking, on on uh, Mondays with uh, our own General Dix and doing the show Remembering Desert Shield and Desert Storm. Uh, General Dix does the cadence call, and we hope that he's back off of the, his pandemic duty very shortly. He's been uh, helping uh, our government with... Uh, logistics and uh he is uh well recognized as an expert in logistics uh that was part of what he did in desert shield and desert storm so uh we always put a shout out to uh, our favorite general general richard dix so with that being said let me introduce our guest today we've got a great guest and um when I first heard the heard the name of the group that her father was in, I I immediately remembered the movie that I'd watched about Merrill's Marauders, and Merrill's Mar- Marauders made their name in uh, Korea, and we've got the daughter of one of the Marauders on right now, and that's Joni Clayson. Is it Clayson or Clawson? It's Clawson. Pardon? Clawson, C-O-A-S-E-N. I'm not a pickle. Okay. uh, I always get called Clawson, David. (laughs) Okay. Well, anyway, we've got Joni on, and I'm going to turn it over to her and and talk about her father and the fact that he was inducted into the Georgia Military Veterans Hall of Fame, and... uh, uh, Rick White, who is the uh, director, Colonel Rick White. Body dryer. Whoops, wait a second, super. wait a second. You'll love you it, and you'll love having one. And that's that's because the dummy on the board forgot to go to manual instead of and stayed in queue, and there came a voice from out of the board. Anyway, um, we're back with Joni, and she's going to tell us about how her father got inducted. And also talk about uh, what she has been doing. And she has in- led a very, very interesting life from a uh, correspondent up and down the gambit of uh, things. So 
Uh, Jody, I'm going to just sort of turn it over to you, and every now and then I'll jump in and uh, ask a question, and I hope it'll be a very meaningful question. But um, you're a writer, a photographer, you've won multiple awards, and um, and have a very interesting, had a very interesting father that uh, you all shared a lot of time together, and uh, a lot of folks, and, and this you know, I I get real upset as does uh, Richard Dix and uh, a lot of the folks that do shows here that uh, our school system, in many cases, and our particularly even as we get into higher levels of education, and I consider that starting in high school, but then when we go and take an American history course or whatever course it happens to be in college, that our teachers and our books are not giving the value and the justice to the history of the military and different groups like Merrill's Marauders. So I'm going to turn it over to you, Joni, and uh, talk. Uh, you're, I hope you're going to talk about some of uh, the Georgia Military Veterans Hall of Fame and then also talk about your father and uh, Merrill, Merrill's Marauders. So, it's all yours. Okay, David, uh, thank you. And thank you to Rick White and to Paul Longrier, who is involved in starting the Georgia Military Veterans Hall of Fame. And my dad was Vincent Malello, and Daddy was um, uh, Merrill's Marauder. He was the last uh, living Merrill's Marauder in Georgia. And he was also a Korean War veteran. He was there, he was in Korea before the war, during the war, and after the war. And, um, <clears throat> excuse me, um, Dad was an inaugural inductee into the Georgia Military Veterans Hall of Fame. Uh, that was the first year. And that was in, um, 2013, I believe. And also during that year, earlier, um, Paul Longrier had nominated Daddy for the Ranger Hall of Fame at Fort Benning, and um, he was um, he was uh, inducted into into that. And um, and Paul and Daddy ironically have the same birthday, but it's in different decades. And um, Merrill's Marauders. Um, were a top-secret commando unit in the China-Burma India Theater, which today is called the Forgotten Theater of World War II. Most people are not even aware that it existed. Um, and the marauders um, who are rangers today were not rangers during World War II. Um, they were formed, actually, um, by the uh, in 1943, Winston Churchill and um, FDR, uh, President Roosevelt, got together in Canada at the Quebec conference, and they decided that um, there needed to be, they needed to open up supply lines uh, in Burma um, so uh, that supplies could get through to China, because the only way to get those supplies over there was like over the hump, over the Himalayas. And so there needed to be a land route. And um, the British 
the Chindits had been in Burma and had been um, forced out of Burma. And so FDR and Winston Churchill formed, um, they said that there should be a, a three battalions who were top secret who would fight completely behind enemy lines. And they asked for volunteers in 1943 for a, quote, dangerous and hazardous mission. Um, it was actually a suicide mission because they were expecting more than 85% casualties. Uh, a lot of the men um, didn't know that. And my dad uh, came out of uh, Panama and Trinidad. And there were three battalions, uh, first, second, and third. And the second battalion was almost totally from men that came from the Caribbean. And and then the first and the third battalions came from the United States and from people in the South Pacific. Um, but before I go any further, I, I was uh, very interested in what you said um, about the cadences, because when I was growing up, um, I learned those because Daddy sang them around the house. And you may have heard this one, David. You had a good home and you left your right. So what do you do? You fight, you fight. Sound off. One, two. Hit it again. Three, four. Letter it out. One, two, three, four. One, two, three, four. <laughs> Very good. Very good. I Daddy, Daddy was uh, full, full of uh, full of little things um, like that, um, but. My dad um, was on the patrol where the first Merrill's Marauder, uh, Private Landis, was killed. Um, well, I guess I should back up. Um, the battalions from Panama and from the United States um, traveled in secret cross-country to Camp Stoneman, California, um, which was a holding area before they shipped out. And... Um, they left on a ship called the Lure Line, which was a luxury liner, and um, they had no idea where they were going. They, they didn't have a name. My dad thought they might be going to South Africa, and they didn't know where they were going, but there was one marauder, Bob Passanisi, who's 95. He's the second youngest living marauder. There are nine left alive right now. Wow. Bob lives in New York, and his MOS was communications. So after they got on the ship, um, something happened with their communication system, and the captain asked Bob if he could fix it, and he did. So the captain gave Bob uh, some special privileges, like a better place to stay, and he assigned him to do a radio show call um, um, every night uh, for the men aboard ship who had no idea where they were going, and Bob accidentally found out where they were going, so he ended the radio show with the Song of India every night, hoping the men would, would get an idea where they were going, because um, that's their that was their destination. Jonah, the ship Jonah, landed in Bombay, Jonah, Jonah, and then... Johnny, and they didn't have a name, uh, and they were they were a British unit, which is kind of unusual. They were American volunteers under command of Lord Louis Mountbatten, and they were trained by General Ord Wingate's Chindits, um in jungle warfare. 
and then in 19 and um, they were um, they were part of the Southeast Asia Command uh, and General Stilwell had uh, the China Burma India Theater and he wasn't very happy that there were American volunteers serving under a British unit so he did whatever finagling they do and the men were transferred um, to the CBI, China Burma India Theater. So in 19, um, early 1944, they were given the name um, the 5307th Composite Unit Provisional. And they, uh, their commander at that time, um, uh, General Frank D. Merrill, was assigned to be their commander. When they were trained by the British, Colonel uh, Charles Hunter was their commander, and Colonel Hunter, Steelwell, and Merrill were all West Point graduates. Um, and Colonel Hunter actually was the, their longest-serving commander because um, General Merrill had a heart attack right before they achieved their mission, which was to capture an all-weather airfield in northern Burma. It was the Michinau Airfield. And um, that would open up supply lines so the planes could be uh, flown in to connect. There were two roads, the Lido Road and the Burma Road. And so when supplies were able to be uh, flown in, um, it would enable a pathway to be forged into China, which, as I mentioned earlier, was... Um, okay, uh, Joni, Joni, we're going to have to take a break. If you'll, you got to really sort of listen up when uh, I'm breaking in. Uh, also, while we're gone on break, uh, when we come back, I'd like to ask you a question on: Did they have any special training? Like, uh, if you go into uh, first when I was in Green Berets or then Special Forces and. Uh, the different units that we have today, did they give the marauders before they were to go into to uh, their landing zone? Did they give them any special uh, training? We'll be back yes, on America's. We'll be back Windit. on America's Web Radio right after this break. and a 71 Oldsmobile Vista Cruiser, you need to tune in to Classic Cars with Steve Ronaldo and Jim Weber every Saturday from 8 to 9 a.m. on AmericasWebRadio.com. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Obamacare is failing, but in order to get back on the right track with health policy, people need to be informed. ObamacareWatch.org is your resource to understand what's happening with this law and what you can do to stay active, stay informed, and make positive change happen. ObamacareWatch.org. Visit us now. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. All righty, and we're back on America's Web Radio, and uh, our special guest today is uh, Joni Klassen, and um, 
She is uh, the daughter of one of Merrill Marauders, Marauders. And I think one of the sad things is that people, a lot of folks don't know what we're talking about or who Merrill's Marauders were, but uh, I remember the film, and uh, I'm sure Joni will talk about that. And also she brought up uh, the fact, too, that her father was around for the 1918 flu epidemic, which uh, we talked a little bit about uh, this morning on our uh, doctor's lounge. But uh, the big difference, and I think it's a bad difference in some ways, but the big difference between what we've got going on now and what they had going on in 1918 is the fact that we've got the media breathing down everybody's necks, throwing in their opinions. And uh, in 1918, we had no media. We had the newspaper, and it was two weeks late and delivered to the wrong yard anyway. So uh, a lot of difference in the 1918 flu, Spanish flu epidemic, and uh, the uh, 2020 pandemic. But anyway, let's get back to Joni. She's the interesting one, talking about her father and what they did with Merrill's Marauders. And, and, oh, we gotta, we gotta mention at some point, Joni, uh, the Jeff Chandler movie. I love that and remember it well. Well, well, David, I'll, I'll start out with the Jeff Chandler movie, uh, then. Um, that, that movie is actually based on a book written by, uh, a Merrill's Marauder who is a journalist and author from Atlanta, Georgia. Um, that was, uh, Charlton Ogburn Jr. And um, he wrote the first uh, account of the Marauder mission, and that's what led to the creation of the movie uh, starring Jeff Chandler. And um, uh, Merrill's Marauders had 14 um, Nisei Japanese-American interpreters, uh, many of whom came from the internment camp, uh, trained through the military intelligence service, and um, they were kind of upset with the movie because um, the director used Filipinos to play the Japanese <laughs> rather than Japanese. Um, but um, General Sam Wilson, who was a young lieutenant uh, with Merrill's Marauders, um, served as a consultant to uh, that movie starring Jeff Chandler. And... Uh, General Wilson said that the movie kind of was a comedy, but the men liked it, you know. Uh, some liked it, some didn't like it. Um, the Nisai really didn't, you know, most of them didn't. But, um, and General Wilson said that there had been an earlier movie called Objective Burma, and that movie starred Errol Flynn. And it was supposed to be about the marauders, but the men parachuted um, into Burma, and Daddy and I watched it, and um, we thought it looked like the marauders, but the marauders actually walked almost a 1,000 miles through the jungles and up the foothills of the Himalayas, um, where they came down with um, um Typhus, and many of them did, uh, on their way to the Michinau airfield. Uh, so, um, but anyway, um, 
uh, General Wilson said that Queen Elizabeth banned the movie for a while in Burma because it looked like the Americans completely won the war in Burma and the British were the ones that were in there fighting first. <clears throat> but um, uh, one thing I wanted to say about uh, the book that was written by Charlton Ogburn, um, who went on to serve in the State Department after Merrill's Marauders, um, is what's written on the cover. And I have a copy of the book right here. And it says, The Marauders tells the true story of three gallant battalions in the jungles of Burma. They were apparently forgotten, frequently lost, occasionally mutinous, and almost always magnificent. I love that. Mm -hmm. Because I think that really encapsulates what the men were all about. They were called everything from magnificent to misfits. Um, they had been called the dead-end kids by some journalists. And um, <clears throat> there was a, um, a, a writer and a photographer, uh, David Richardson, who wrote for Yank Magazine, he was primarily a photographer and an excellent uh, writer. He wrote for Yank Magazine, and he accompanied the uh, the men on their almost a thousand mile march, shooting both his camera and a gun. And what's so one and and his stories kind of. Uh, um, made the United States aware at that time of what was going on in Burma because a lot of the focus was on the Pacific Theater and the European Theater and Burma and also Africa. You don't hear that much, you know. Uh, you don't hear that much about them. But what's significant uh, about David Richardson is that a few weeks ago we were notified that he's going to be inducted into the Army Ranger Hall of Fame this year. There are about 15 um, rangers uh, who are going to be inducted, and, and David is one of them. And there are about 28, uh, I believe, uh, David uh, rangers in, in the Army Ranger Hall of Fame right now who've, who've been inducted. You know, if anybody ever... If people like history and, uh, you know, everybody has their own definition of what they like in history, but I have always found that there are no better story than the military history stories. And uh, everything from um, Merrill's Rangers or Merrill's Marauders up and down the gambit. And the fact is... They're not novels. They're true stories. And, and this stuff happened, and this stuff happened to Americans. And it's always, I find it just fascinating. And I do. Well, well I, I, I agree with you. And um, I think I mentioned that for um, 15 or 16 of the past 20 years, I've been a full-time live-in caregiver to my parents. And after my mother's death in 2005, I told Daddy that we could go to any military reunions he wanted to go to. So um, we went to Merrill's Marauders, the 33rd Infantry, 5th Regimental Combat Team for Korea and the Korean War Veterans, um, um, you know, association. And that led, David, to um, Daddy uh, doing living history programs 
uh, where he did go into the schools, and there have been some wonderful schools here in Georgia, like in LaGrange and Zebulon, where they really promote military history. And Daddy had the good fortune to uh, set up uh, at those annual events. LaGrange does it several times a year, uh, where, um, they, where veterans from all wars, um, including women, um, go in and set up a table in, in the auditorium or in the hallways, uh, in the case with Zebulon. And students, every student in that school walks through there. You know, and some are more interested in, than others, but, but it's a, it, it's amazing. Uh, one time, I, uh, I also set up Rosie the Riveter and I set up, um, what women did in World War One. I. I had a big triple board up here and one of the young women walked by and looked at me and said, what did you do in World War One?" <laughs> so they, you know, a lot of the students don't have, um, they don't comprehend the time sequence. Like World War One um, was 1918 when you mentioned the, the flu epidemic. Um, and if I have time right here, I'd uh, like to say something about uh, Daddy. Um, my dad, Vincent Morello, was the fifth child of Italian immigrants. He was born in Booton, New Jersey, and he was orphaned by the 1918 flu epidemic. Um, his mother died when he was three months old, and he was placed in an orphanage by Italian, uh, for little Italian boys in Gladstone, New Jersey, the Bill O'Connor Orphanage. And then he was sent to the boys' home, and while well, he was there, the father he didn't know he had went to get him and took him back to a big Italian family where he didn't know anybody. And at that time, there were um, a total of 14 children because his dad had married a woman who lost her husband in the flu epidemic. And my dad's entire life, including the military, was forged by the 1918 flu epidemic. Daddy said that in the orphanage, meaning the Villa O'Connor, um, he slept in a boy's dormitory, and there was a nun in the center of the room with a tent around her bed. And in the military, he slept in a barracks, and instead of a nun, he had a first sergeant. And so... Because my and my dad felt very comfortable in that environment, the, the military environment, because that's the type of environment that he grew up in, um, in the orphanage. And um, I, I wanted to say something about the 1918 flu epidemic. There were 500 million people affected uh, world, worldwide, and 50 million um, died. And I think more people died during uh, the 1918 flu epidemic than uh, were killed during World War One, and it was uh, it was horrible, like you said, because there there wasn't the media attention, and in fact, I think a lot of people weren't aware of how awful it was until uh, the coronavirus uh, pandemic. Uh, became apparent. 
um, my dad, um, getting back to my dad, my dad was Italian, and he said that there were so many Italians in Merrill's Marauders, like Passanisi, Malello, Montiglio, Maganato, that instead of saying Italian fall out, you could say Italians fall out. Hmm. Um, <laughs> but there were actually, um, just I, something just clicked, there were actually 15 ethnic groups in Merrill's Marauders. And the oldest Merrill's Marauder was a World War One veteran. His name was Joe Doyer, and he was—he had served in World War One with the uh, Canadian Black Watch Highlanders. And keep in mind, all of these men were volunteers. Um, you know, many of them volunteered uh, from the South Pacific, um, and. <clears throat> And some of them, like the men today um, who go through war, had PTSD. But men of their generation didn't talk about it. It wasn't something they talked about. And I've recently learned that some of the marauders, including one in Texas, David, where you were, um, had to go through electric shock therapy. Oh, yeah. And he had PTSD so bad that he nailed the windows shut in his house, and it ruined his marriage. Yeah, they, uh, you know, back then it was called shell shock, or, you know, they had different right. names there for it. Right, was shell called... shock, and, yeah. and, it, and, the, and I suppose people in all wars have had it. Oh, yeah. Daddy yeah. said that, um, you know, after his father went to get him when he was around 10 or 11, that there was an older man, a World War I veteran, who used to... Um, uh, Tony, we're going to have to walk. stop for a break, okay? Oh, sure, uh, we, sure. Thank we've you. come up against a hard break. We'll be back with uh, Joni right after this. If your health insurance premium is more than your mortgage, Ellen Deal with Ideal Solutions is here to help. Whether you're a small business owner, individual family, or baby boomer, email MAGA45CAG at gmail.com, and I'll respond with three easy questions to help you determine if you can get away from Obamacare. As a 20-year veteran of the insurance industry, I'm here to help with all your insurance needs. Email Ellen Deal at MAGA45CAG at gmail.com. Whether cruising the Strip in a 57 Chevy or taking the family on a vacation in a 71 Oldsmobile Vista Cruiser, you need to tune in to Classic Cars with Steve Ronaldo and Jim Weber every Saturday from 8 to 9 a.m. on AmericasWebRadio.com. Hi, I'm Steve Ronaldo, host of the Classic Car Show on America's Web Radio, talking to you about antique car insurance. Uh, in this hobby... Uh, that I've been part of for years. Not all insurance companies and insurance coverage is the same. I would suggest that you call J.C. Taylor or visit jctaylor.com to find out some information about some of the best antique car insurance you can get, such as agreed value uh, insurance for your classic car. Again, if you're when you get ready to to uh, insure your classic. Classic, antique, or even your street ride. Call J.C. Taylor Insurance or visit jctaylor.com. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. And we're back on America's Web Radio with uh, David's pick. And basically, uh, 
the show is brought to you by the Georgia Military Veterans Hall of Fame. And uh, I want to tip my hat, as always, to Rick White. He does, he's the executive director and he does a fantastic job. And if you're in Atlanta, Georgia, and you've never been to the Hall of Fame, it's, uh, Riots in the old Sloppy Floyd building right across the street from the state capitol. The state capitol, for you that don't know it, is the one that has the gold dome on it. And it's real gold. And if you get up there scraping it off, they'll shoot you. No, I don't know about that. But anyway, it is a gold dome. And uh, the Veterans Hall of Fame is right across the street. And... They have a very good cafeteria there, as a matter of fact, so you and the family can go through, look, and visit with maybe family members that have served in the past and uh, read all about them and then uh, go have a good meal and finish your tour. So it's the Georgia Military Veterans Hall of Fame, and Georgia is blessed uh, in that, by the way, there are a lot of other states that are are building or starting their own Hall of Fames because they realize how important Georgia's is and what it's done for the state and for honoring our veterans. And uh, we always, at America's Web Radio, we honor our veterans and the job that they've done. And it doesn't matter what branch, what anything, if they're a veteran, they served. And for you that haven't served, when we were doing the cadence calls, you can't appreciate how much that means to a veteran. And they hear different ones. And, and just like Joni pointed out, her father had obviously uh, sung cadence calls in their home. And uh, she remembered them. And I, I think that was beautiful. So we appreciate you listening in. And uh, we'll always, if you'd like to advertise in this show, you're more than welcome to uh, contact General Manager GM at AmericasWebRadio.com and uh, tell folks that you're open. How are they going to know with the pandemic if you're open or closed? So let them know across not only in Georgia and Atlanta, but we're listened to around the world, and we're touching people all over the world constantly. And if you do business uh, in Australia or the U.K., or it doesn't matter where, people are listening. And uh, you need to talk to us and uh, let people know that you're, you're wide open for a business and you'll take it and mail it out to them and uh, you'll sanitize the box before you send it. Anyway, thank you for listening and let's get back to Joni and her tales and Stories about or I, oh Joni, I got to ask one question. I always ask, I guess, one question, and obviously your dad was proof pro- positive of this. But uh, have you ever known a veteran that only had one story to tell? No, <laughs> but but one thing I've noticed, uh, like with the Marauders, a lot of them didn't start talking, my dad didn't, I grew up with it, uh, and I mean, I didn't grow up with the marauders, I grew up knowing my dad was a soldier, but I didn't realize until I was an adult, um, the significance of what Merrill's marauders did, and my dad really didn't start telling those stories that you're talking about, David, until he was in his 60s. Mm-hmm. And and I think that's that's common with some of the men from that generation. 
And and then for others, like we were talking about PTSD, it was so horrible they didn't want to talk about it. Well, this this is one uh, thing that we've been very fortunate about. Um, I don't take I uh, I am a veteran. Uh, at least people call me a veteran, and uh, I sometimes take a little bit of issue with them in that uh, they have now tagged us as Vietnam era veterans. And uh, that means that I didn't serve in country and I don't ever claim that I served in country. Uh, but I did serve uh, for six years and I was in the reserves and uh, we take the same oath that everybody else took. And uh, I'm very fortunate with all of my veteran friends that they accept us or accept me and accept uh, all ARs and NGs now as veterans and Vietnam veteran eras and even the VA is beginning to accept us which is a nice change but you know everybody serves at their own and, and I love the fact that we have a volunteer military now and it's great my son's serving in Germany and uh, I I love our country and I love our military and we'll do everything we can to support it. So back to Merrill's Marauders and Joni. Thank you, David. And I wanted to say something about the Georgia Military Veterans Hall of Fame. Um, after Daddy was inducted, uh, um, he nominated um, uh, Dr. Carlton Savory. Um, who was called the Ranger Doctor. He was an orthopedic doctor here in Columbus and now plans uh, like the lecture series at the National Infantry Museum. And Dr. Savory, um, uh, the committee, uh, um, did, did uh, uh, accept uh, him into the uh, Georgia Military Veterans Hall of Fame. And this year, um, there are a couple of people that um, that I would like to, I'm trying to get their families to submit applications. And one of them is um, Eleanor Stark's husband, uh, Luther Buck Bagley. Um, the Mara- when the Marauders reached their objective, which was the Michinau Airfield, there were only, out of the 3,000 uh, men, almost 3,000, um, there were only a few hundred. Uh, several hundred who were capable of fighting. Um, along with the Japanese, they fought five major battles and 30 minor engagements. Uh, the, um, the superior Japanese 18th Division, that's who they were fighting against. And, uh, their numbers had been decimated not only by the Japanese, but also and largely by uh, all the jungle maladies, uh, malaria, mite typhus, uh, dysentery. Um, it, it was, you know, it was it was pretty horrible. The men that struggled into the Michinau airfield were described as walking skeletons. And that was when they when they secured the airfield. That was supposed to be the end of their mission, but. Um, when they secured the airfield, almost immediately, 2,500 replacements started flying in. And the re- many of the replacements um, were not combat trained. They'd been taken out of all sorts of places. And and the planes were just kind of taxiing, and the men were, were jumping out onto the, to the ground. 
and, and later in many instances while there was, you know, a battle um, going on. And one of those replacements was Luther Buck Bagley, who was the husband of um, <clears throat> Eleanor Stark, who lives in Pembroke, Georgia. And um, he was killed in July 1944. And Eleanor has been waiting for, this will be the 76th year, for his remains to come home because he is still MIA. And, um, and she got the message that her husband had been killed when she was working as uh, Rosie the Riveter in Savannah for Southeast Shipping. And um, last fall, another one of those replacements to the 5307th, um, I think his name was Hewlett, and he was from Carrollton, Georgia. His remains were returned home. And that reminds me, there is a, a living replacement in the Atlanta area, Stanley Sassine. Um, and Stanley uh, um, is one of those uh, 2,500 men who were flown into Burma. And um, when Stanley was in his 90s, he jumped out of an airplane. <laughs> which I think, which I think is, it shows you how tough some of these <laughs> these men really are. Oh yeah. Um, uh, uh, one thing me. I want to say is, um, I started in 2016 when uh, the Mills Marauders Association was in an inactive, and, and an association was formed by the children, people like me, um, so that our fathers could just go and enjoy themselves. Well, that went inactive in 2016, and we didn't have records of exactly how many Merrill's Marauders were alive. So Bob Passanisi, who I mentioned earlier, who's currently the spokesperson and historian for Merrill's Marauders, sent me a bunch of lists, which took me three months to go through, and I determined there were 28 alive, and I still missed a few. And today... Uh, I, I started sending um, little care packages to them. I, I did it for Veterans Day of that year to let them know that um, that the, the association had gone inactive. And, David, I only planned to send that package out once. I had gone around to all the ranger units at Fort Benning, and they gave me T-shirts and and things, you know, that I could include in the packages. And it was to be a one-time deal. And then I started getting thank you letters from these men all over the country and saying we didn't think anybody cared about us anymore. Mm. We thought we were forgotten. And one of the letters I received was from, um, uh, I think he was a 101-year-old uh, uh, Nisai. He was the last Japanese-American interpreter Tom Sabuta in Hawaii, wow. and um, and he wrote it a little handwritten note, and um, and I thought, okay, I looked up and said, okay, Dad, I'm going to be doing this, you know, for the long haul. And what's significant about Tom Sabuta is that on these, he was um, he was educated in Japan, Japanese American. He was with the National Guard uh, on December. When Pearl Harbor was bombed, he was on maneuvers, wow. and all the men in his unit thought the firing initially was part of their maneuvers, and they very quickly learned that it wasn't. And on December the 8th, Tom 
um, because of his language skills, there was a, a, a half-naked man walking down the road, uh, looking dazed, uh, and he was Japanese-American, and Tom, um, you know, uh, interrogated him, and it turns out he was the only, sur- he was the first prisoner of war in, uh, in, in World War II, and he was the only survivor of the two-man many submarines that had tried to reach land. Wow, yeah. And, um, you know, you can Google Tom. His last name is T-S-U-B-O-T-A. But at that time, I, he probably wasn't given the recognition that he needed, um, or maybe he didn't need recognition, but, but he wasn't recognized that much because we had just been bombed the day before by uh, the Japanese. But there's an independent filmmaker, um, Stacy Hayashi, several years ago. Uh, she created um, um, an independent film movie uh, called Go For Broke, which highlighted all of the, uh, um, you know, the, the men from the, 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 the MIS, the Japanese Americans, and their role in, in, World War II, which is another amazing story. Oh, absolutely. And when well, I Joni, we need to uh, break in here. and uh, I try to have... Joni, we need to break in here and just give a plug to uh, the Georgia Military Veterans Hall of Fame as well as run a couple of ads. And uh, you're listening to David's Pick on America's Web Radio, which we always pick or basically always pick someone involved with the Georgia Military Veterans Hall of Fame. And uh, Joni's father was in Merrill Marauders. And uh, invite everybody, if you haven't seen the movie, go and check out the movie. It, uh, if you like war stories, war movies, uh, back in World War II, it's, it's a great movie, a great... In fact, I'm going to watch it this weekend. Uh, it's been a while since I've watched it, and... Uh, I want to do that. So I want to thank Joni, and we'll be back with her in just a minute to wrap up the last segment. We'll have about uh, 13 minutes in the last segment. We'll be back right after this. Perhaps you are struggling to cope with the disease of addiction. If not, you probably know a family member or friend that needs help in battling the cravings and the personal and professional damage done by the effects of drugs or alcohol. Get a pen and paper and be ready to write down the following. These are the issues that the trained staff at the Atlanta Healing Center address and treat every day. Their doctors and counselors with over 40 years of practice in the field of addiction can treat the suffering individual in a thoughtful, compassionate, and experienced manner and guide him or her along the path to recovery. So call 770-696-9862 and speak to a knowledgeable staff member about how you or your loved one can be helped to enjoy a better and healthier life. More information is also available on the website at www.AtlantaHealingCenter.com. If your health insurance premium is more than your mortgage, Ellen Deal with Ideal Solutions is here to help. Whether you're a small business owner, individual family, or baby boomer, email MAGA45CAG at gmail.com, and I'll respond with three easy questions to help you determine if you can get away from Obamacare. As a 20-year veteran of the insurance industry, I'm here to help with all your insurance needs. Email Ellen Deal at MAGA45CAG at gmail.com. 
You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. And we're back on America's Web Radio and our last segment with uh, Joni and her father. Was You're listening to America's Web Radio on the America's Broadcast Network. That wasn't supposed to happen. How did that happen? Anyway, we're back with Joni and we're going to be talking in the last segment um, about 10 minutes uh, more on uh, Merrill's Marauders and I guess, Joni, if there's one thing you would like to leave the audience with about your father and about Merrill's Marauders, what would be that one point to stick in everybody's mind about, you know, and, and I think we look at our government as Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs, but in all wars, there are people that have fought behind the lines. There have been spies in all wars, and... uh just because we're the United States doesn't mean that we haven't uh, used folks to uh, gather information. And, uh, you know, you, you if you're going to win the war, and that's what you go, if, if you're in there, that's what you're there for, is to win. And uh, you do it any way you can. And I think, if I remember the movie correctly, uh, there was almost a statement by Chandler about, well, we'll do anything we have to to win this battle or whatever it was but anyway so you know more about it than i do uh what's your what's your one one thing that you would like to leave behind about uh the marauders i i suppose what i'd like to um leave behind was these men accomplished something that had been called impossible um, they weren't expected to survive at all, but they did. Some did, you know, quite a few did. In fact, five lived into their hundreds. And I would say it's just the resilience. Almost every man says there was no way out. They were going through the jungle behind enemy enemy lines. They had to hack their way. They, they were. They had no mechanized vehicles. All they had were mules, and so they had to cut openings in the jungle through really thick bamboo, not the thin kind that we have here in Georgia. And it had. They had to make like a tunnel for the men and the mules to pass through. And what they comp- what they accomplished was was like I said. It was it was termed impossible. Um, but they did it, and they did it. They say they did it by putting one foot in front of the other. They were the infantry. And one thing I want to uh, uh, say is that w- when I determined how many were alive, there were 28 in 2016. Today we have nine alive. And something that's really significant is that we're trying to get the Congressional Gold Medal for this unit. And um, Senator Johnny Isaacson um, introduced the bill in the Senate um, in 2017. Uh, and we've been through, we're in our third congressional two years. Each session is two years. We're in the third one trying to get this passed for the Marauders. And um, the, the, house, the bill was first introduced by the House by Congressman Peter King in New York, and the major co-sponsor was Congressman Sanford Bishop here in Georgia. So 
you know, I'm really proud that uh, both Senator Isaacson and Sanford Bishop, you know, got behind this effort to, to get the Congressional Gold Medal. In December last year, the entire Senate, you know, we got uh, this the bill passed in the Senate. And right now we're halfway there in the House of Representatives. Two of the surviving uh, Merrill's Marauders, Bob Passanisi, who's 95 and lives in New York, and Gilbert Howland, who's 96 and lives in New Jersey, went to Washington, D.C., and these men in their 90s walked again. They were walking uh, for victory, but this time it was for the Congressional Gold Medal. And they walked an average at their age of three and a half miles uh, a day through the halls of Congress trying to to get the Congressional Gold Medal. Um, in Georgia, four, I mean five, I'm sorry, of the... Um, Five of the uh, 14 representatives, congressmen and women. Good morning and welcome to America's Web Radio. uh, It's time for Agent in Charge, and we've got the Agent in Charge online. And it it can be awarded while there's some who are still alive to be honored um, by by the Congressional Gold Medal, which is the highest honor that the United States can give um, a military unit. And I'd like, to, I'd like to just mention where the rest of these men are from. Uh, James Collins is 96 years old. He lives in uh, Tampa, Florida. Uh, Rocco DeLuca is 97. He lives in Connecticut. He's currently in lockdown in a long-term care facility. Russell Hamler is 95, like James Collins in Florida. Russell Hamler uh, lives uh, uh, in his own home. Uh, Russell is in Pennsylvania. And Lester Holenbach, we have two from Florida. That's the only state that has two. Lester Holenbach is 97, and um, he just lost his wife last December. She was 91. And Gilbert Howland, I mentioned before, and the oldest right now is Gabriel Kinney, who's just right next door to us in Alabama. Gabriel is 99, and he lives with his wife in uh, in an apartment in a senior facility. So does Gilbert Howland. And then Raleigh Nays is 97 years old. He lives in uh, Chippewa Falls, Wisconsin. He is also in a long-term care facility, but his wife, Betty, who's 92 years old, goes every day and stands outside his window holding up notes to encourage him to eat. And then over in Tennessee, above us, is James Richardson, who turns 99, and uh, uh, James turns 99 in July. And James and uh, and Gabriel Kinney, uh, Bob Passanisi, and Gilbert Howland are frequently at Fort Benning to attend Ranger uh, events. Um, I wanted to also mention um, the the strong connection to Dahlonega, Georgia, that Merrill's Marauders have, because Camp Frank D. Merrill, where the mountain phase of ranger training is conducted is named after their commander. Oh yeah, I've I've been up there, run their uh, 
run their course with my son. And uh, they they open it up on Mother's Day, as a matter of fact. And uh, it's a it's a they have a nice little museum, and uh, would certainly think anybody that uh, has the time and can do it would love to see. And that's you know once you've gone through Ranger School and you're at Benning for uh, parachute school, and then you come up uh, to Dahlonega and go through the Ranger School. Um, you're a tough person after you get out of all of that. And uh, One thing you mentioned earlier, you asked me um, about the training the Marauders had. Mm-hmm. Uh, the men in the 2nd Battalion, like, uh, were Daddy uh, and Gilbert Howland and... Um, um, well, almost the whole 2nd Battalion came from, um, they went through jungle training in Panama and Trinidad, but the entire three battalions were trained um, by um, General Ord Wingate's Chendits, who were the, you know, I mean, they were the, the top, well, they were excellent jungle fighters, and so they got their jungle training from the Chendits before um, they set off on their long walk to capture the Michinau airfield. Wow. You know, this this is what this show is all about and what the radio station is about, about really, is, is history. And, you know, if you don't know history, you're doomed to repeat it. And uh, there are many things that uh, we don't want to repeat in our life at this point. But... Um, Joni, Joni, you've been fantastic on the show, and uh, I hope that your family has been listening and that uh, others have been listening and taken uh, note of and will will watch the movie. I suggest that to everybody, that they go in and uh, watch the movie. What Do you remember the exact name, Merle Marauders, or what, what was the exact name of it? Do you remember? I, I think it is. It is Merrill's Marauders. Okay, so they should know it, and uh, that's great. And you can you can buy it online. Oh, good. Okay. Well, with that being said, one more time, I want to thank you for uh, being on today, and uh, we will uh, at some point. I I always ask our guests, will you decide to uh, uh, come back on? Like to if, if you yeah. would like me to, yeah. Well, you know, <laughs> maybe if I come back on, I can say the men got the congressional gold medal. Exactly. And if that does happen, will you please let me know, and uh, we'll make sure that you do come back on. That that would be great. Uh, you know, it's uh, I love history. I love the military. We have a couple of flags in our studio with us, and uh, we've been very fortunate to uh, get to know. Uh, Many of the guys that uh, are in uh, the Georgia Military Veterans Hall of Fame, and uh, uh, we appreciate that. And uh, and I hope the two families I'm going to contact will submit um, their military person. Yes, ma'am. That w- that would be great. Well, with that, we're going to have to, uh, like I say, put the plug in the jug and get out of here and get ready for Healthcare Insights. And, uh, again, we thank you for uh, being with us this morning, and we will be talking to you soon. Thank you, Joni. Thank you, David. Bye-bye. 
You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening.